Hello there. This is a more, I guess not serious episode, but um, more um, not powerful, but like just I I like raising awareness about stuff like this to cast a light on how terrible this is. It's called civil forfeiture or civil asset forfeiture. Um, how I first heard of this is uh, John Oliver did a episode called uh, Civil Forfeiture. Uh, I guess Vice News also did one on it. Um, but it's a very... Um, shady and should be not legal um i mean some would or some call it legalized uh theft but um it is a process in which law enforcement officers take assets from people who are suspected of involvement with crime or illegal activity without necessarily charging the owners with wrongdoing. This uh, can be directly traced back to the 80s and the 80s uh, war on uh, drugs, obvious. Well, not obviously, but um, basically that's where it started. While civil procedure, as opposed to criminal procedure, generally involves a dispute between two private citizens, Civil forfeiture involves a dispute between law enforcement and property, such as a pile of cash, or a house, or a boat, such that is in, suspected of being involved in a crime. So, um, John Oliver says this too, where it's not you that's on trial. It's your property. And your property doesn't have as many rights as... Uh, you do, obviously. To get it back, owners must prove it was not involved in criminal activity. Sometimes it can mean a threat to seize property as well as the act of seizure, seizure itself. Civil forfeiture is not considered to be an example of a criminal justice financial obligation. Proponents see it as a powerful tool to thwart criminal organizations involved in the drug trade with $12 billion in annual profits. Since it allows authorities to seize cash and other assets from suspected traffickers, they also argue that it is an efficient method since it allows law enforcement agencies to use these to further battle uh, illegal activity. Critics argue that Innocent owners can become entangled in the process to the extent that their Fourth Amendment and Fifth Amendment rights are violated in situations where they are presumed guilty instead of being presumed innocent. It has been ruled unconstitutional by a judge in South Carolina. Further, critics argue that the incentives lead to corruption and law enforcement misbehavior where they focus on the wrong uh, modus operandi 
I guess you would say. There's consensus that abuses have happened, but disagreement about their extent, as well as whether the overall benefits to society are worth the cost to the instances of abuse. Civil forfeitures are subject to the excessive fines clause of the U.S. Constitution's Eighth Amendment, both at a federal and at the state and local level. A 2020 study found that the median cash forfeiture in 21 states, which they tracked, was 1300 So now I'd like to tell you some um, horror stories. This comes to us from Americans for Prosperity that is working to reform the nation's asset forfeiture laws, which often permit law enforcement to seize and forfeit private property from individuals without ever charging them with a crime. In almost all jurisdictions, when they take ownership of a person's property, they get to keep most or all of the proceeds. This system creates a wrong incentive for police to seize assets rather than focus on solving crime and further serving the public. Even when utilized with the best of intentions, this system is prone to abuse and innocent people have been needlessly victimized by it. Our first story comes to us from South Carolina. Mike Albin's RVIN uh, 2009. He was a 65-year-old Vietnam vet, cancer patient, and restaurant owner residing in an RV in the parking lot of his workplace. State law enforcement began an undercover gambling investigation of his restaurant and purchased a small amount of, uh, let's say, grass from a cook. Based on that, in the presence of nine video poker machines at the restaurant, police searched his RV and recovered four ounces. This was below the legal threshold permitting the seizure of a vehicle, but law enforcement argued that RV was actually a container. They seized it and sold it at auction. He passed away in 2012, shortly after the state appeals court ruled the seizure invalid. His $30,000 in attorney fees were not covered, and his estate received less than they believed the RV was worth. Alabama. In June 2010, Frank Ranelli had owned his Ensley, Alabama computer repair shop for more than 20 years. One morning, his business was raided by police, and more than 130 computers were confiscated. Some were for sale. Others were undergoing repair and were supposed to be returned to their owners. Police were acting on an informant's temp that Ranelli was receiving stolen goods. The charge was dropped when he demonstrated he had followed proper protocol in the case of the only laptop he was accused of having received illegally. He spent years unsuccessfully trying to recover this um, basically stolen laptops. North Carolina. Lyndon McClellan owned a convenience store in rural Fairmount, North Carolina. His business was mostly in cash 
and he regularly made large legal cash deposits. On the advice of a bank teller, most of his deposits were in amounts of less than 10 grand to reduce paperwork. Under federal law, this practice is legal. As long as deposits are not structured this way to avoid the reporting requirements and conceal criminal activity, obviously. Because he was not attempting to evade these requirements, he believed he was following the law. The feds disagreed. In 2014, they obtained a court order to seize more than $107,000 from his account. As McClellan is quoted as saying, It took me 13 years to save that much money, and 13 seconds for the government to take it away. The case was eventually dropped, as funds were returned to him in 2015. In 2016, a federal judge awarded him legal fees as well. God. Wyoming. In March 2017, Phil was pulled over in Laramie County, Wyoming, for improper seatbelt use and an apparent lane violation. The officer was able to get him to consent to a search of his car, which contained years of his life savings, more than $91,000 in cash stashed in a speaker, which he intended to spend fulfilling a lifelong dream. The purchase of a Madison, Wisconsin studio where Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins had played. He was told he would be allowed to leave if he signed a waiver giving up the cash, which he did. He has no criminal record and was never charged with any crime, only a $25, uh, I assume, uh, driving ticket. His cash was eventually returned, and his story spurred Wyoming to reform the state's civil asset forfeiture laws. Arizona. Jerry started his own trucking company in 2015 and currently has two trucks and two employees. Seeking to add a third truck, he flew from Charlotte to Phoenix to attend an auto auction in August 2020. He was carrying around 40 in k in cash, which is actually legal. They're very competitive. Thousands of people go there. It's basically you bring your cash and you put a deposit down. When he landed in Phoenix, an undercover officer approached him in baggage claim, asking him if he had money or the substances on him. When he revealed he was carrying the cash, the officer interrogated him for an hour and gave him a choice of Signing a forfeiture agreement or being arrested. Johnson, this guy, signed. He has not been charged with any crime, and the TSA has refused to return his money. A judge has ruled that Johnson failed to prove the money was legally his, and litigation is ongoing. He has previously served time in prison for possession of substances. Most recently in 2012... His trucking company has helped him turn his life around and create value for others. So he's, like, trying to turn his life around, but, you know, like, they did steal 40 grand in cash, and it said that he still hasn't gotten it back. Texas, the the shining 
jewel in the crown of the U.S. Anthonia came to the U.S. from Nigeria in 1982, obtained her nursing license in 83, and became a citizen in 1994. It took her 12 years to become a citizen? Man, that process sucks. Must suck. She saved money for years with the dream of opening a clinic to help patients in the land of her birth. In 2017, she was about to fly from Houston to Nigeria with medical equipment, supplies, and about 41 grand in cash. Customs and Border Patrol officers detained her and seized the money because she had failed to comply with the requirement of what she was unaware that she was taking more than 10 grand out of the U- U.S. She was never charged with any crime, and the attorney declined to pursue the legal process to confiscate the funds. Nevertheless, they never they refused to return her money unless she signed a hold harmless release agreement, which was in and of itself a viola, in violation of federal law. Facing a lawsuit from her, they returned her funds after seven months without interest. Pennsylvania. Terry was a 79-year-old retired railroad engineer who had followed his Depression-era parents' habit of hiding money in his Pittsburgh-area home. When he moved to a smaller apartment, he asked his daughter to take the money, more than 82 grand, and open a joint account. Before flying home to Boston with the funds, Brown checked online to confirm it was legal to carry such a large amount of cash. But when a TSA agent, Toilet Safety Administration, discovered she was transporting this money, he insisted on calling and talking to her father. He told her that their answers did not match and seized the cash. Neither her nor her father were ever charged with a crime, but the DEA refused to return the money. Until six months had passed and a lawsuit was filed. These abuses show the need for reforms. Asset forfeiture must be conducted in a responsible way that respects people's rights and protects the innocent. Um, it should be abolished. I agree. And law enforcement should be required to secure a criminal conviction before anyone's property can be forfeited. You know, innocent until proven guilty. And uh, usually these aren't, you know, these are people with less money and assets to their name. It's not, you know, people with more money to their names and better off to do. Lansing, Michigan. State lawmakers from both parties are calling for further reforms to Michigan's asset forfeiture laws in the wake of a seven-action news investigation revealing a controversial building seizure by officials in Highland Park. State Senator Jeff Irwin and Stephen Johnson both say the 2020 seizure of a 13,000-square-foot building which lasted 18 months and resulted in no charges, 
is evidence that the law is still being abused. You can't just say, man, we're really sure they committed that crime, but we can't prove it. And then you can't just take their stuff. I mean, the most... I'll say... uh, People against it, and, you know, it's probably people on both sides of the aisle, um, just literally call this practice legalized theft. Um, As the investigators first reported in May, Highland Park officials offered to return the building to its owners, but only if they agreed to purchase their police department. Two new squad cars totaling nearly 70 grand. The owners... Uh, declined, but the property remained in the city's custody. The officials claimed the building was used to violate uh, substance laws, but prosecutors authorized no charges. These tools were developed many years ago to go after the the kingpins, but these tools have been turned against regular citizens far too often, said the senator. What happened in Highland Park was made possible thanks to Michigan's civil asset forfeitures law. They allow the government to take property it suspects is involved in a crime without having to charge anyone with a crime. But recently, some of the 2019 reforms have already been rolled back. As of May, people traveling with more than $20,000 in cash at airports in Michigan can have that seized by police without being charged with a crime. Um, my advice, I know everyone says, like, I don't trust banks and whatnot, but, like, I, I would very heavily recommend to not, uh, travel with cash. A lot of it. Um, airport authorities say it's to help fight, uh, traffickers. But forfeiture critics say it will also take the money of innocence. The change was approved by Michigan's legislature and signed by Governor Whitmer. There are two sets of forfeiture numbers with $147 million forfeited under state law in Tennessee from 2000 to 2019 and $97 million forfeited under federal equitable sharing during that same time frame. So about only 50 million of it got returned and 97 million went to the police. This guy said that he advocated in Tennessee for legislation to close the back door to federal forfeitures. Um, said that each year, um, this lady's group, Tennessee, State Director of Americans for Prosperity, advocates for civil asset forfeiture reform legislation, and each year is opposed by the Department of Safety and Homeland Security. Fortunately, a lot of the substance task force agencies in their state rely solely upon this forfeiture to fund their departments. It's not supposed to fund actual law enforcement salaries, but because it's combined federal and state joint task force That's how they get around it. They should not have to rely on violating someone's constitutional rights 
to fully fund their department. I'd also argue that it undermines the supposed trust we're supposed to have of cops, which I guess if you've listened to my prior podcast, you'll know I'm not the biggest uh, supporter of the police. They should not have to rely on violating uh, blah, blah, blah. the paper trail on how this funding works is a mystery according to Venable because of a complete lack of accountability and transparency. Let's see. <laughs> Clearly the money is going somewhere. This person noted, knowing that some reform has occurred, such as legislation, that possession of cash alone cannot be the reason for a seizure. She said that that year's legislation would have exempted less than $200 in cash and vehicles valued at less than 2000 from seizure to avoid court costs that were higher than the value of the possessions, which that's another thing is like to get your money back, you have to pay court fees, which usually is worth more than the crap they took from you. McGrath and Venable said that research across the country on these on forfeiture has shown that police departments and uh, substance task force concentrate effort patrol efforts on arresting and seizing uh, substance money leaving in an area instead of substances entering the area by sitting on a particular side of the highway in a region such as Interstate 40 between Nashville and Memphis. Um, so I always try to be somewhat fair in these. So um, this is the, to me, the So I don't know if you heard that, but I'm literally recording this at 3.30 in the morning. So thank you to the motorcycle that just, uh, yeah, my Vulcan some people up, but what do I know? So this is uh, from a Reddit post from eight years ago. Note that around, um, uh, Oliver casually points out that civil forfeiture laws have had some positive effects before referencing a Washington Post article, Stop and Cease. Now, this article, like the report, stresses the negative elements of civil forfeiture and the way the law is being abused. But he seriously undervalues why they exist in the first place and the context into which they were implemented. Crippling these organizations and restoring billions of dollars to victims are not marginal positive effects they represent ways for the state to legitimately exercise its power to eliminate serious threats to society and to make restitution to victims so he's talking about the 80s uh, war on crime or war on drugs and I would argue that all that that succeeded in doing is making substances more uh, heavy 
or concentrated or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, like skyrocketing the nation's, um, prison population. Um, so apparently there's a 1996 letter to the New York Times from the chief of the asset forfeiture and money laundering section of the DOJ. He gives several significant benefits to these laws, all of which seem sufficient to have the law in place, at least in principle. Um, so, uh, What is this guy going on about? So he goes on to say, there are problems with the function of civil forfeiture, not the purpose of it, and they seem reasonably resolvable. For starters, strong public outcry on these issues could and should lead to more public awareness and the necessary political capital to establish or empower oversight committees to check police incentives, even if the police themselves don't like it. So, he's saying it's the citizens, like, this is kind of the, if you want it to be a law, you should legislate it, you know, with the recent overturning of a certain 50-year-old case nationwide. So, he goes on to say that they should be used by state level or, um municipal governments by depositing it in the state treasury. This means that individual police officers can't just take money from civilians and then decide themselves where to send it. This isn't an abstract idea. This guy's from Vermont where their laws on civil asset forfeiture function essentially like this and money seized is usually used to fund education. He says he's sure North Dakota and Maine do the same thing. Citizens of state where the law is being clearly perverted to serve law enforcement's personal uh, interests could and should uh, campaign to implement uh, more sensible forms of the law. So, I mean, I guess that's great that you think it works like that and whatnot, but obviously in practice, uh, there's a lot of innocent people that aren't guilty of any crime that are having their life savings and money that they can't afford to lose taken from them for the flimsiest of excuses. So I found a post on Reddit. I I thought it'd be easier to find like a list of like people like you know on Ask Reddit or something where like their experience with civil forfeiture uh, cases or like the police 
but um, basically, this guy says, "I just got robbed by the police for fifteen hundred advice." A few months ago, he borrowed some money from a friend. Short time later, he moved in with his mom to help her out while she was planning to move across the country. He then called in uh, the loan to cover moving expenses. Considering he had to shift or he had bad credit, he was really hesitant to put $1,500 in his bank account to pay Pallet out to him. Um, so he, uh, I guess, mailed the cash to him. So fast forward a week later and he gets a call from a cop saying that he had seized his package because it was suspected to be substance uh, proceeds. He claimed it, quote, uh, smelled like the grass. Um, uh, so, he says that the cop asked him questions, and that he poked around a few days to investigate the source and destination of the money. A few days later, he got another call from the same cop saying that he couldn't prove the money was involved in substances, but the state would be seizing it anyways, just based on suspicion. He says he's not a rich man, so this was utterly devastating. He could fight it, but that would require him to hire a lawyer drive hours to court multiple times and wait months. Financially, it makes no sense for him to appeal their decision since all the costs would be uh, greater than the money he lost. So basically, he got robbed. So here's how he ends it. He received some papers in the mail asking him to sign them and mail it back to the DA. According to the documents, it's a stipulation and basically says that the DA is taking the money and cannot pursue them in court. He's hesitant to sign it because he kind of feels like it's some sort of admission to guilt. Also, there's a weird clause that vaguely says that he accepts all consequences for his actions and he isn't sure what that means. So, legally, um, yeah. So, now we'll end on a funner story, where it involves an actual company uh, with armored trucks. Highway robbery with badges. This is what Imperial Logistics, a national armored car company, has been the victim of multiple times within the last year. Five times, drivers with the company have been pulled over for flimsy reasons with officers seizing the cash they were transporting on behalf of customers for a total of three times. No one has been arrested or charged with a crime, but if law enforcement is successful in using civil forfeiture to take the money, they will be able to spend it on themselves. The fact that the seizures defy state and federal laws is why Highway robbery is the correct way to characterize what is going on. It started this summer in Kansas. Logistics pr provides secure cash transit for state legal cannabis businesses. 
A driver was on their way to Kansas City, Missouri, to pick up money from the dispensaries when they were pulled over by a sheriff's deputy. The driver was not cited for anything and truthfully told the deputy about their business in Kansas City. On the return trip the next day, a deputy pulled over the car and seized $165,000 in cash. The driver wasn't ticketed or arrested. The funds were handed over to the feds with the U.S. Attorney for Kansas filing a civil forfeiture action to take all of it. Under the Federal Equitable Sharing Program, the Sheriff's Office could get up to 80% of the proceeds if the government wins. Which, it's the feds. What, what do you expect? While they were contesting the seizure, the San Bernardino County Sheriff began targeting vehicles transporting these proceeds from state legal businesses in California. Again, the drivers were pulled over on flimsy reasons and never arrested or even given a citation. And again, the funds were handed over to the federal government for prosecutors to take through civil forfeiture. While Imperial provided the San Bernardino County Sheriff with detailed information showing that it was moving money from legal businesses to financial institutions, just a week later, or a few weeks later, the same truck was pulled over again. While deputies covered up the vehicle security cameras, is that legal? The audio feed captured the true motivation for the seizures. Deputies carrying the money expressed disappointment when it turned out the vehicle was carrying half the amount compared to the first seizure. <laughs> Still between the two, deputies has taken more than $1.1 million. Again, the funds were sent to federal law enforcement since state legal cannabis proceeds clearly could not be forfeited under federal or state law. Um... <laughs> uh. So while Congress has not acted to legalize cannabis on the federal level, it has instituted a hands-off policy when it comes to interfering with state legal medical cannabis operations. According to federal law, the DOJ and its agencies cannot spend any money to prevent states from implementing their own laws that authorize medical, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And in regard to the San Bernardino stops, California law explicitly protects Imperial and others who transport money for commercial cannabis operations. But I think once again, federal Trump's state. Uh, lawmakers passed the statute to enhance public safety. It is patently obvious that forcing uh, these businesses to figure out how to safely store or transfer significant amounts of cash themselves could increase opportunities for criminals. Um, so what's going on is ex basically exploiting federal law in order to enrich law enforcement. Um, the targeting of these vehicles reinforces 
that civil forfeiture is less about fighting crime and more about generating revenue for law enforcement. When Seattle Rev- er, Seattle University economics professor Dr. Brian Kelly examined the federal equitable sharing program, he found that forfeiture had no meaningful effect on crime solved and did not decrease substance abuse. He did find that Forfeiture increased when local economies suffered and government revenues dried up. Imperial is now working with the Institute for Justice and these illegal seizures. The company filed a federal lawsuit in California against the San Bernardino County Sheriff, the U.S. DOJ, the DEA, and the FBI. Companies and its drivers' constitutional rights have been violated over and over again, most specifically the, I believe, the Fourth Amendment. These cases demonstrate, once again, how civil forfeiture has distorted law enforcement priorities and why it needs to be abolished. Criminal trial is the correct venue for figuring out whether law enforcement should be able to take millions of dollars. People should have the right to legal representation and the government should have to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. Anything less is unjust and un-American. This has been your host, Luke. Have a good week. Bye.